0: Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. As you turn there, we're, to inform you, we're in a series, the letter to the Philippians penned by Paul. We're midway through this series now. Glad you are here, visitors, to jump right in the midst of this, but I have a feeling you're going to catch up quickly Some of this message is a bit of a review. For those of you that have heard similar things over the last few weeks as I preach, uh, be patient. We have to keep in mind that this is a letter that has a prominent theme working through it. And so as we move through this letter, we're going to be revisiting that common theme. I'm going to be preaching in an expository fashion today. We're going to go verse by verse And we're going to start with verse number 12, continuing now in the word of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Father, again, we pray that your Spirit work in this message and upon the messenger. Bring us clarity, conviction, Lord, and move us forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message is Lights in the World. Looking at verse number 12, we see this phrase, good pleasure, his good pleasure. And what is that good pleasure? I want to present to you or offer to you in the context of this message you bring him good pleasure, your redemption, your salvation brings him good pleasure. You are becoming a true son and daughter of the living God. You are his very own. You are his beloved child. And as such, you bring him pleasure. You see, those of you that are gathered here and who've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are adopted into his family. Furthermore, you are indwelled by his very spirit. The Apostle John would say that you have been born of God. You are born of God's Spirit. And in love, in love, God has predestined for you to be conformed to the image of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to become like Jesus You are being saved. You have already been saved. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins. You have justification, not guilty, but you are still being saved. What does that mean when we're working out our salvation? Because I thought we already were saved. Why do we have to work it out? Earlier you heard it mentioned, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. This salvation is being worked out. We have to remember that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus Christ is the image, the very image of the invisible God, such that when Jesus speaks to his disciples, he says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And what I want to offer to all of you that are gathered here today that are in Christ, that you are being made to be like Jesus. It's the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You are brothers and sisters of Christ himself if you have life in Jesus. And each one of you has been called to live a life of love, of holiness, and being made fit for a life of service and citizenship In the glorious kingdom of God, you're being made like Jesus. And you have been called to bring glory to his name. You and I have both been called to reflect God's nature, his character, his goodness into the world. And this brings him pleasure. Is God egotistical? Wanting everything to point to him and glorify him? No. He's not egotistical. He just happens to be the highest good in existence. You can't compare God to anyone. You can't compare him to anything. Rather, Everything and everyone is compared to him. In the end, it's not about you. Ultimately, the Purpose Driven Life, a popular book that came out years ago, Rick Warren, I think the very best line in the book was the very first one. And it just started out, it's not about you. Ultimately, But it's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about becoming like Him. Displaying and reflecting His glory. This is the highest good that exists. It's the highest good we could ever attain to. Becoming like Him. It's also the place where we experience the highest pleasure, and the greatest blessing as we become more and more like him. Having fellowship with the living God, your fellowship and my fellowship with God Almighty, fellowship with the living God, the one who created you, is enhanced, it's deepened as we become more and more like him, more and more like our Father more and more more like Jesus, who is exactly like the Father. And the more we become like him, the more we experience his love. And this pleases him. This brings him pleasure, good pleasure. In this verse, you saw something that theologians wrestle with, though. The technical term is synergism, working together together. This passage clearly is telling us that we have to work this out together with God. We have our part to play in this working out. We have nothing to do with being saved in the first place. It's all of God. But once we are in Christ, we've turned to him by faith. We are to work together with him to work out this salvation. This may make some of you nervous, but we have to deal with the scripture here. It's what it says. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take your part. Do your part. You're not a, part, a, a passive participation, a participant in all that's going on and making you like Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It takes discipline to do so. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is showing you what he is like. The Holy Spirit is leading you as you wait on the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is showing you what Jesus Christ is like. Keep your eyes on him. Maintain your devotion to Christ. Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Guard your mind. Guard your heart. What are you spending time with most of the time? What What occupies your heart, your soul, your affections, your mind, all of this? Is it Jesus primarily, preeminently? Do your part. You are being transformed to the image of Jesus Christ, but you're having this transformation take place by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. You have to be in the word of God. You have to know the mind of Christ by reading the word of God, seeing what he is like. But this passage also says that it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his purpose. God is moving you to will and to act according to his purpose. So grace is really continuing. You began this great journey of salvation by grace, turning to him in your helplessness, But even though you are now contributing, you're working and disciplining yourself. And that's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, self-control. And even though you are doing your part, it's still of grace. You still are relying on God to be at work in you and through you. The Holy Spirit to be in you and working in you, leading you, guiding you, strengthening you, encouraging you along the way. He's doing this mighty work in you. It's his power, and because it is his power, and it is by grace, he gets the ultimate credit for your growth. The beginning of Philippians said, it is his power, and he began this good work in you. God began the good work in you. It's him. He began that good work in you, and he will finish it. When will it be done? On the day of Christ Jesus, when you see him face to face. And that final transformation will take place. You see him and you will be changed. You will be exactly as he is when you see him. Do you pray? How do you get led by the Holy Spirit? Pray. Pray without ceasing. This passage said, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. You know you're going to have trouble in this world. But Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome this world. With fear and trembling has to do with something else. I mentioned to you over and over again today in this service that God loves you. The songs have said the same thing. You're a son, you're a daughter. And God loves you, and he is merciful, and he is compassionate, and he is comforting. And God, your father, in his perfect love for you, will never exhaust the ways that he is going to show his love for you, because you are his child, his beloved child. But we have to remember when we talk about fear and trembling, we have to remember that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, like a father disciplines his son. Discipline isn't pleasant when we go through it, but it produces a harvest of righteousness. God is your father, and he is good. All of his ways are perfect, and he loves you, and he will discipline you in his perfect love. I want to take a moment here. Does that trouble you to hear that? Do you know that you can please him? You can work to please him. You can't work to earn his love for you. He loves you fully. You you can't make him love you more. But in the confusion that exists in the church today, we confuse sometimes pleasure with love. You can please him, though. You can work to please him. You can please the Father. The more you obey Him, the more you strive and you work and you become more like Jesus. It brings Him pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We have to remember that He's still our God. He's our Father and He loves us, but He's our God. He's our Creator. And so we must honor Him and reverence Him and be in awe of Him and fear Him and worship Him. Look at how many of you are gathered here at Little Beacon Light today. You are worshiping him. You are honoring him in this COVID pandemic season. Praise be to God. That's the fear of the Lord on display. That's reverence for God on display. That's awe of the mighty one on display. He's your father and he loves you, but he's God. Jesus Christ, our dear Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and he's our friend. Yes, he's our friend, but he's a friend with this condition. This is the way he put it. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He is our brother. He is our Lord, He is our Comforter, He's our Savior, He is all of that. But He's the Lord, and we will obey Him if we're going to experience friendship with Him. Verse number 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why? We have to remember that God, when we think about being made in his image and being uh, the image being restored, that God is three in one. God is one. It's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, each one of them perfect in themselves, but they live in perfect community. And you too, as image bearers of God, have been called to live in community. That community, we call it the Church. Chloe Noel Sluice was ushered into the covenant community we call the church, and we're called to live in community. And as a community, image bearers of God reflecting his image into the world, we're called to stand firm in a way, as it's said here in Philippians, worthy of the gospel. We're supposed to stand as one spirit, One soul, one mind, contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. The Apostle Paul gave them instructions on how to do so. And one of the primary ones was to walk in humility. You look around in here to serve one another. Serve one another like Jesus did. Look around here and you look at one another and, you, and, the, and the Bible says you're supposed to be considering one another as more important than yourselves, as having above yourselves. You're supposed to be looking out to the interests of others rather than just your own in humility. Now Paul is going further. He wants this body that has come together that reflects the image of God himself to also live out this life without grumbling or disputing. Thank you, Alma, for your words this morning. I didn't know you were going to say those words, but thank you. A fun quote. Some people are always grumbling because roses have thorns. I am thankful that thorns have roses. Another quote says, Grumbling and gratitude are for the child of God in conflict. Be grateful and you won't grumble. Grumble And you won't be grateful. Billy Graham, by the way. Verse number 15. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Blameless, innocent, without blemish. Brothers and sisters, do you know what this passage just said to you? That you are children of God. Do you know how Philippians started? Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ to the saints. To the holy ones. Children of God. Can I remind you today that you are different? You are different than the world? Just saw a Christian movie this week portrayal of Mary Magdalene. She's being confronted by a Pharisee, wanting to know why this big change in her took place. And her quote was this Back to the Pharisee. All I can tell you is I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. You are different. You're blameless, innocent, without blemish. This is what you're called to be. You are saints already, but being made more and more like Jesus. You are being sanctified, but you are holy to start with. Chapter 1, verse 10, here, said, Apostle Paul, same letter, "...so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ." your image bearers. Take hold of your identity in Christ. It's very easy to default in your language and in your attitude and say, I'm just a sinner. Can I offer to you today a challenging phrase that will make me look like a heretic to some of you here today? Can I offer that when you talk about yourself, that you say the way Scripture does, post-cross, post-resurrection, I'm not the same person anymore. I am different. The old self is dead. I am different. I am now, by the authority of Scripture, a saint. I am a holy one. doesn't mean you never sin. You'll sin until the day you see Jesus Christ face to face. But don't sin on the basis of saying, I'm just a sinner. We sin because we still at times walk according to the old flesh instead of accordance with the Spirit. In accordance with who we truly are in Christ. As those who have been raised from the dead, a new creation in Christ. But don't fail because you don't even know who you are. You're on display. The Apostle Paul is telling this Philippian church that's beset by Rome, this little church that's surviving in the midst of a mighty Roman Empire in a mighty Roman city, Philippi stand firm, shine as lights like a city on a hill. Because Jesus is the light of the world, and they're alive in Jesus, and they're supposed to be shining beacon light. The call to us is to live up to our namesake, because God is showing Himself off through us. Remember, He's bringing glory to Himself, and He's doing it through His children. In the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, we are holy people. During our confession time, we understood there plainly what it meant to be a holy people. On the one hand, what it means to be holy is you have been separated. Consider yourselves separated from the world. You are in unique, a peculiar people, the people of God, the children of God. Separate yourself from this world's value system. The Bible plainly says friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you choose to be friends with the world, you've chosen to be an enemy of God. That's not me saying that. That's the Bible. The Apostle John, who preaches love all the time, he said this, whoever loves the world, this world in its present form, its fallen form, its value system, whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not even in them. Come out from among them and be separate, holy, holy but it's holy as a cleansing as well. 2 Corinthians, let me look at that again. 7.1, this is important. Holy is being separated, but listen to this as well. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and the spirit, bringing holiness, To completion in the fear of God. Do you see the consistency of Paul? And I want to tell you something. It wouldn't matter if I went back to 2 Corinthians. I could take you, but we don't have the time, obviously, to Colossians, and you would see the same thing. Paul is so consistent. Verse 16 says, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud and that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hold fast to the word of life. What does that mean? First John opens up with these words. That which was from the beginning. That which we have seen. That which we have heard. The one that we observed. The one we handled. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. That life appeared, and we have seen it. That's what John says. Jesus is the ultimate word of life. Hold fast to Jesus. Don't let anything in this world distract you from the grip that you have upon Jesus. Yes, he's got a grip upon you that's greater than yours, but hold fast to Jesus and hold fast to this Bible. Hold fast to the gospel, the written word, The good news, the words of life, hold fast. And then, hold out the word of life. The ESV translation that you just read here, it said in 16, holding fast. Many translations, like the NIV, as an example, doesn't say hold fast. It says hold out the word of life. We as God's people, as the children of God, are called to do both, to hold fast to Jesus, hold fast to his word, but we're also called to hold out the gospel, to offer Jesus to others. The reason why you have translations going both ways, and it's almost split down the middle of whether it's hold fast or hold out, is because both are valid with that Greek word that is used there. 35 years ago, I was in a German restaurant in Milwaukee. We have some folks from Milwaukee here. There was a German restaurant in Milwaukee. I hope it's still there. I used to like it. It was called Mater's. <laughs> Great German restaurant. Used to have a gift shop in there. 35 years ago, I went into that gift shop, and I saw a German um, a, a, a painting. It was a print of a painting that was done by a German artist, and I was really attracted to it. Very simple. But this particular German artist, uh, he was famous in Germany, and, and the paintings that he did not only became prints, but they became Christmas cards. So I'm looking at this print in, in this German restaurant, at this print done by a German artist, and here's what it was. It was of a boy. He was the only one in the painting. He was about 10 years old, and he had a hat on and a coat. You could tell it was kind of cold, and it was uh, pretty much dark, almost dark outside. And this little boy was looking right at you as you looked at the print, looking right at you. And he was holding out this globe, this ball of light. And the light was shining on his own face in the darkness. And you could see he had this gentle little smile, and there was a tear, a single tear that was trickling down his cheek. And you could see with this tear and with this gentle smile, and as he's holding this out, he's hoping for something. What he was holding out was the gospel. This is what the artist, this Christian artist, was wanting to portray. This boy was holding out the gospel Jesus, the light of the world. Are you here today? You're visiting here today. Are you here? Maybe you've even been raised in the church. Have you received Jesus? Are you surrendered to Jesus? Is he truly your Lord and your Savior? Is he in your soul, in your heart, his spirit shining as a light? Has the darkness been dispelled from your soul? Have you been rescued from the domain of darkness? and been ushered in to the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. May today be the day of your salvation. Tonight, maybe get by your bed, like your pastor did many years ago, and just cry out to Jesus. If you're not sure, cry out to Jesus. Verse 17 even if I am being poured out as a drink offering. Paul is sacrificing here for them. He would have liked to have departed and gone away and be with the Lord, but he he knew he had to remain for their faith. He says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you. He's about ready to be poured out. That's because within a few years, he's going to be killed for his faith. The Roman Empire will put him to death because of his testimony. But he's glad, and he rejoices. He doesn't mind at all that he's suffering for these Philippians, that he's dying for these Philippians, because he wants to be like Jesus. And we remember today that Jesus, who for the joy, that's you, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God Almighty. Be glad with Paul and rejoice. You know what I want to do with closing this message, with my final sentence? I want to join you. I do. I want to join you today. I want to follow Paul's example, who was following the example of Christ. I want to serve, and I want to live, and I want to die in such a way that others have a fighting chance to hear about Jesus or to grow in Jesus. It's a work in progress. But he who began that good work in me and in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Make us like Jesus, Father, living a life of love, a life of holiness, and may we have the compassion that he has for the lost. And those that are in here today, Father, who have not yet crossed over from death to life, save them, Father, save them. In Jesus' name, amen.